0: week five of our series ID. Again, I'm Dion Garrett. I'm honored to be here with you today. But after four weeks and now five, I'm pretty sure you've got this all figured out now, right? You know exactly who you're created to be and you're you're on your way to living it out. Yeah? Or maybe for some of us it takes a little longer than five weeks to figure all of this out. And yet, this is what's encouraging to me. I'm hearing some powerful stories of of, uh, people taking this seriously And life changes as a result of what we've been talking about in this this series. I think this is powerful stuff. If you let it be in your life, it may even be threatening to you. I mean, for instance, I know one guy who is really rethinking his whole career. He's got a good job, a good paying job, and he's been wrestling with, with his greater sense of purpose for a while. And because of working through this series, he's now to the point where he's going, I think I need to leave my very good paying job to pursue something else that God wants for me. Powerful stuff. Now, I know if you're sitting here next to your spouse today, you're like, hey, plug your ears. I don't want you to leave your job. You know, we need you to stay working. And, uh, <laughs> but, but the reality is, when you let this become powerful, when you let these things just kind of soak into who you are, it really can change you in a good way. And it's kind of scary. All of this is scary. And yet it's, it's really uh, good stuff if you let God in and let him begin to reform your identity. And that's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks now. For some of you, you've been here. Some of you, you've forgotten. Some of you, this is your first week here. Let me just recap really quickly what we've been talking about because this series is kind of a process series. One week is meant to build on the other. And we think after these five weeks, you're well on your way to discovering who God wants you to be and living that out with, with, a, uh, with a conviction and a courage like maybe you've never experienced before. But week one, we talked about rejecting false reality. That was back on Easter. And we talked about how the disciples, in the same way that they believed that Jesus was dead and gone, that was a false reality, they couldn't even see that he was alive even when he was standing in front of their faces. They had a hard time believing that. So many of us have a false reality about who we are. We believe false things about our identity. Based on things that people have said to us when we were younger. Based on what we own what we drive, where we live, our family of origin. All of those things contribute to a sense of identity that is false. And if you want to know who you really are, it starts with rejecting those falsehoods and beginning anew. Then week two, we talked about playing to your strengths. And we talked about how all of us have unique strengths, but the problem is too busy, we're too busy so often following the crowd, trying to be like everyone else, trying to have the strengths that are popular, the strengths that we, we admire rather than the strengths we actually have. But if you want to discover who you really are and how God has made you to be different and unique, you've got to start with what your strengths are, not what other people's strengths are. And uh, that's what we talked about week two. Week three, we talked about character. And man, I think this is big for this culture we're living in. That we put more emphasis on where we're going, more on that than who we're becoming. So we get all excited about where we're going and how we're achieving, but we forget that at the core of who we are is our character, our integrity. And so we get really caught up in all the externals in our lives, and our achievements, in uh, you know, graduating with honors, even if you have to cheat your way to do it. We, we've kind of forgotten that character is at the core of who we are. Week four, we talked about how you can't go it alone. This was last week. We said, you know, you don't go off into a desert and find yourself. That's a myth. The way you find yourself is through connections and relationships. Other people in your life help you discover who you really are, and they help you have the courage to live it out. So if you've been tracking along these four weeks, chances are, if you've been taking this seriously, you've been discovering more about who you are. But inevitably, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to figure out who you are, you're going to claim your identity, you're going to start living it, and then life is going to change things up on you. You're going to go through some sort of life change, maybe it's a trauma, maybe it's just a normal transition of life. You know, your kids are going to graduate some of you are facing graduations in your houses right now. Your kids are going to graduate and they're going to go off to school. Or you're going to have someone new come into your life. Or you're going to have a relationship that falls apart. Something's going to happen in your life that is going to send you reeling. And you're going to find yourself in this place where you're like, gosh, I don't know who I am anymore. In fact, this is a really popular thing for us to do, to imagine that once you discover who you are, if something crazy happens in life, that you, you will automatically lose yourself, and then you have to rediscover who you are. This week I did a little uh, experiment, and I typed the words finding yourself after into Google. In fact, let's, let's do that right now. Let's look at what this, what this re- reveals. If you type finding yourself after uh, into Google, and then just leave it blank. Look at what pops up. Things like divorce, breakup, after a baby, after college— Uh, And then if you just search that phrase, there's all kinds of stuff, primarily about relationships or just losing your way. But look at the bottom here, you know, depression. See, after kids, after college, lots of stuff about divorces and breakups. Lots of of interesting stuff there. But is that life? I mean, you figure out who you are, you go through these steps, but, but the moment life throws something at you, does that automatically mean that you've lost yourself and you've got to rediscover, you've got to find out who you are? again? Is that how life should work? I mean, I know some of you have been through some of these things, and and, and gosh, some of these things are really traumatic. But does that mean that by by definition, you have to lose yourself and find out who you are all over again? Is that life up and down? See, that's what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to talk about the reality that you can't stay where you are when it comes to your identity. You can't stay put because life keeps changing around you. There are different seasons that you'll come in and out of. But we're going to ask the question, does that mean every time life changes that you change? Or is there something about you that you can hold on to even as all of life changes around you? Uh, Today we're going to look at Peter, this guy that we've been studying for the last few weeks. He is one of the uh, closest followers of Jesus. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter... And he gave him a new identity, he gave him a new calling. And Peter is on his way to living it out, and he's doing pretty well. But today we're going to look at a, a point in Peter's life where he is thrown for a loop. And he begins to question everything he knows about himself, and everything he knows about God. And we're going to watch how he navigates that. It comes from Acts chapter 10, so... If you're an overachiever, uh, you can start going there in your Bible right now. Or you can look along on your smartphone by going to youversion.com and typing in STJSTL. Um, in a second, we're going to go here also on the, on the screen. But before we dive into Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 9, I just want to tell you really quickly about the scene that happens before the scene that we'll look at today. It goes like this. There's a man by the name of Cornelius. We're introduced to him in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius. He is a uh, Greek guy. That means he's a Gentile. He's a centurion. He's a high Roman official. He's kind of, you know, military guy. He's got a bunch of people under him. And Cornelius, as we're not going to see this, but right before this, Cornelius, just before this, has a vision where an angel comes to him, and the angel says, hey, there's this guy named Peter. He's staying in such and such a town. I want you to go send some people to get him and bring him back to your house. He's got a message to speak to you. Now, I know some of you right there are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this guy had a vision? We're going to talk about visions and angels today? If we're going to talk about visions and angels today, I want to know what Cornelius was smoking first, right? Go back to that part of the Bible where where we find out what was going on. Visions and angels? Now, if you're kind of skeptical about this stuff, I don't blame you. I'm sort of a skeptic when it comes to all of this, too. Because talk about visions and angels, that sounds like crazy talk. And I know a lot of crazy people who've talked this way. And yet, the Bible does speak about how in the last days, and the days we're living in, people will dream dreams and people will have visions. And it's not a normal occurrence, but I think it does happen and those things have to be tested. And for me in my life, I've had to make a decision about this stuff. See, I've decided that I can either live my life without the possibility of the miraculous where I can live my life with the possibility of the miraculous. And for me, I've decided that I I want to live my life with the possibility of the miraculous, that I need to be open to the the different kinds of things, the mysterious things that life with Jesus might bring into my life. Personally, for two reasons. Life is a lot more interesting when you're open to some of these things. But also, I don't want to be a guy who limits God in any way. If God wants to reach me through a vision, okay, I mean, he's got to make that clear to me. Because I'm, I'm a hard-won skeptic on this stuff. But if God wants to do something crazy in my life, I don't want to be the person who's going, no, God, you can work in my life in any way except that way. I want to be open to however God wants to work in my life. So Cornelius, this guy, he, uh, he has a vision. And uh, he sees an angel. An angel says, go get this guy, Peter. And so he sends people to go get Peter. And then we'll see what happens next in this next scene. About noon the following day, the day after Cornelius' vision... As they, and these are the, uh, the servants of Cornelius, as they were on their journey to find Peter and approaching the city he was staying in, Peter, un- he doesn't know anything about any of this stuff, he went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. Now tell me this has never happened to you before, right? You're sitting down to pray and you're like starting to pray and you start thinking about how hungry you are. You start to pray and next thing you know you're like... Uh-huh. You're falling asleep, right? Human nature takes over. So it even happens to Peter, he's up there, he becomes hungry because it's noon, it's time to eat. And the meal is being prepared, but he's trying to get in some time with God before that. And and he becomes hungry, he wants something to eat. And and that's when something weird starts to happen. He falls into a trance. And then he sees heaven opened up, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles, and birds. That'll be important later. Then a voice told him, "Get up, Peter! Kill and eat." Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, "I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. So there must be something in the water, because now Peter is having a vision, and this time the vision is of this this sheet with all these different animals." presumably some of the animals were, um, were clean animals that guys like Peter, a Jewish guy, would be able to eat. And then there are these other animals that are unclean and they're all just kind of mixed in together. And so Peter's looking at animals that he would have been allowed to eat ceremonially and he would have seen a bunch of animals that he wasn't allowed to eat. And he hears this voice that says, Get up, Peter. You're hungry. Go for it. Kill and eat. Now, Peter must be thinking this is a test right now. And he's going, no, 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 no way. Not me, not me. I know the difference between a clean and an unclean animal. I'm a faithful guy. I would never eat anything impure. I'm not touching that stuff. But maybe Peter's wrong. Maybe it's not a test. Watch what happens next. The voice spoke to him a second time. Hey, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. One of the guys in my message study group on Tuesday mornings uh, pointed this out to me. He said, you know, three, man, that's Peter's number. God's got his number, and Peter's number is three. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, don't you remember Peter? He denied Jesus three times uh, before his crucifixion. And then after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appeared to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times and here there's this vision where God is, is presenting this, this picture and this, uh, giving this statement to Peter, again, three times. Now, three has significance also in Hebrew culture. It means that God is serious about something. But Peter, at this point, is still thinking that all of this is about food. Because he's hungry and it's noon and that's what it seems like it's about. But, but let me just clarify something for you. This is not actually about food. It's about people. It's about people. It's about that guy Cornelius that I told you about a minute ago. See, now look at what happens next. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate. So they arrive at the house Peter's at. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about this vision, the Spirit of God said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. And do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests, So Peter is, is trying to figure out what this has to do with food, and, and these guys show up, and he learns that this man Cornelius has sent for him, that an angel has appeared to him. But he also learns that Cornelius is what they call a God-fearer. Now that's just not a nice compliment, like, oh, this guy fears God. No, it's actually a technical term. A God-fearer was a Gentile person, a Greek person, who believed in the Jewish God, believed that that was a true God, but he was still kind of a Gentile, he wasn't actually a Jew. So what that means is that Peter's being invited now to Cornelius' house, but but for a Jewish man, again, ceremonial stuff. It doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but it was a very big deal to Peter. If you're a Jewish man, you don't just walk into a Gentile person's house. That will make you unclean. And Peter's not just a Jewish man. He's a religious leader now in the Jewish community. He can't go into a Gentile man's house, even though he's a God-fearer. So I want you to think for a second. If you were Peter... And I know this seems trivial to us because we're like, you know, eating food, like who cares, and going into someone's house, this sounds so dumb. But think for a second about the turmoil that Peter must have been in. From the time he was an infant, he was instructed in what God wanted for people, and it involved what they ate and who they visited. He had grown up his whole life under these assumptions, and now... God, the same one who told him not to do these things, is appearing to him in a vision, speaking to him in a vision, saying, no, 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 Peter, it's all okay for you now. Gosh, that must have shaken everything Peter believed and thought he knew about God. And isn't that life, I mean, you think you've got stuff figured out, you think you know God, you think you know what God is all about, and then stuff happens, things change on you, and and you're like, wait a minute. I'm not so sure anymore. anymore. See, in those moments, what's adding to our confusion, what's adding to our distress, is something that is totally and completely our fault. Namely this, that in those moments we confuse our ID with our platform. I'm going to spend some time talking about this later, about how this applies to us. But in this case, what Peter's doing and what's making this so uh, distress-filled for Peter is that he's confusing God's ID with his platform. Let me talk about God first, and then I'll talk about us. See, Peter's assuming something about God. Peter's assuming that God is primarily a Jewish God, that he's the God of the Hebrew people, that that's who God is at the core of his identity, that he is the God of the Jews. But he's wrong. It's not who God is. See, way back at the beginning, before there was even a Jewish nation, before there were Jewish people, God made clear that He was the God of everybody. That He was a God who wanted to bless all nations on earth, all people on earth, even though we've rejected Him. he, he, He wants to bless all of us with a relationship with Him. He wants to bring all of us into wholeness with Him, not just some people. All people. See, that's who God is at the core of his identity. A God who is not satisfied with Jewish people. He's not satisfied with church people. He wants all people to experience the benefits of being in a a life-giving relationship with himself. I hope you know that today. I hope in your mind there's not a, a person, a group of people, that you have excluded from the love of God in your own mind. Because God wants them all, not for his sake, but for ours. See, Peter thought he knew that God was this Jewish God. But what he was actually referring to, what he was, what he was thinking about, was, was God's platform. See, God's idea was a God for everyone. But, but for a while, God did take up this platform. And he, and he established this nation of people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And they became his platform. And he said, I'm going to work through these people. And I'm going to establish them as a nation. And I'm going to bless them. And someday, out of them, I'm going to bring blessing again for the whole world. But see, this is not God's ID as a Jewish God, as a God only for Jews. That's just his platform. Therein lies the confusion. And see, at this point in history, everything is changing because Jesus the Messiah, he's come. And he came out of God's chosen nation, the Israelites. But he didn't come just to be the savior of the Jews. He came to be the savior of all people And so Jesus is making it about everyone. God's platform begins to shift. And Peter thinks, oh my gosh, I'm losing my mind here. Has God changed his mind? Is is God now going back on the things that he said? And it's all because he's confused between ID and platform about who God is at his core and what God's platform was. Do you understand the difference? And see, this is true of us in our relationship with God. I, I think we confuse these things a lot too. And, and we, we think about how God has worked in his platform and we get that confused with his identity sometimes. But it's also true with us as it relates to our own lives. We get confused about these two issues. And do you see what, what kind of problems we create for ourselves when we confuse our core identity with our platform? See, if, if you don't, then just go ahead and confuse the two. Get these two things mi- mixed up. Let your platform become a part of your identity. And what inevitably will happen to you is, is that, again, your, your kid will grow up and move out of the house. Or you'll, your job will get transferred to another state and you'll be jobless. Or you're going to have to retire. Or you're going to get a divorce. Or you're going to get married. Or you're going to lose your mobility and your body isn't going to work like it once did. Or you're going to get sick. And if you've confused your identity with your platform, what will happen is you will inevitably lose your sense of who you are. And next thing you know, you'll be on Google typing in, how do I find myself after fill in the blank? See, that's not what God wants for you. Every time you incur a bump in the road or a change in life to go back to square one and have to figure out who you are again, that's no way to live. You've got to keep your ID and your platform separate. Now, that is not to say that your platform doesn't matter, that it's irrelevant, or that it means nothing. To the contrary, your platform provides important clues about your core identity. You got this? Let me write this down. Your platform provides important clues about your core identity. L- let me ask, do we have any moms in the house today? Any moms? Mamas represent, whoo, whoo, right? We've got some mamas in the house. We'll have more next week. It's Mother's Day again. You know, freebie for you. Um, we have some moms in the house. And I know some of you, um, gosh, all moms are great, I think. And a lot of you love being a mom, but some of you really love being a mom, right? There's some of you who you feel like, hey, I'm a good mom, but when my kids are out of the house, I'll go on living. And there's some of you who are like, I was created to be a mom. And I don't know how I'm going to live when my kids leave the house. Do you understand what you're doing there? This is, this is an example of that issue when we start to get our platform and our identity confused. See, so you can love being a mom, but if you make that your identity, being a mom, a part of your core identity, what will happen is your kids will leave you someday, and you're going to lose yourself and have to find yourself all over again. Unless, of course, you plan on being eternally pregnant, which, you know, if that's your plan. Good luck to you and all of that. But instead what you could do is is you could acknowledge that that's just your platform, but that platform indicates something important about your core identity. If you love being a mom, so much that you think that might be a part of your identity, pause for a second and ask a deeper question. Say, what does that point to about my identity? I mean, is it really about being a mom to your specific kids? Or is it just saying that maybe you're a person who loves kids? Maybe not your kids, but just any kids. Now, again, that could be a part of your core identity, that you're a person who loves kids. Maybe you have a gift to reach kids. You feel like you're good with kids. That could be a core part of your identity, and that platform is, is pointing you towards that. Or maybe it's not about kids. Maybe it's just about caring for people. Maybe you're someone who just loves to care for people, and your, your kids provide you the opportunity for you to exercise that part of who you are. But you're not a mom at your core. You're someone who loves to care for people. Now, if that's true, if that's part of your core identity, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can do that every day of your life. It doesn't matter if there are kids in your house or not, right? You can always find people to care for. Uh, a year or so ago, I did a funeral for a, a family in the church. Um, it was for their mother, their elderly mother. And uh, I gathered the family together to hear stories. And they told me stories about this woman. And, and she, w- she was a caregiver. She just loved to care for people. In fact, they told me about how when she was getting near death, they moved her to a nursing home. And she knew she was near death, but was still pretty with it. And so in a nursing home, while she's in a nursing home, she made it her ministry just to care for the people who worked there. So she would invite them into her room, one by one, and she would ask them how she could pray for them. And she'd counsel them on life, and she'd pray over them. When she knew the end of her life was getting closer, she took time and she wrote notes to all of them. She brought them into her room again, one by one. She gave them the notes. She gave them gifts. She encouraged them. She thanked them. She blessed them before she died. Now, if you can do that in a nursing home, you can do that anywhere, right? This is a sign that this is a part of this woman's core identity, caring for people. It doesn't depend on, you know, who's in her house or what stage of life that she's in. Enough about moms for a second. Let's talk to career people here for a minute. Anyone in this room love their job? Anyone live for work? Some of you are like, wait, you went too far with the live for work thing. I love my job, but live for work, no. No, there's some of us who do, and and, and there's nothing wrong with that exactly. I I won't lecture you today, but let me caution you that if you find your identity in your position, in your title, in your paycheck, what's going to happen when you lose your job? Or maybe you're one of the few these days who will never lose a job. That's pretty rare, by the way. But what if you're someone who eventually gets to the point where you've got to retire? Or you not going to retire. You're going to be one of those people who just works until you're in the grave. You're like 95 years old. And everyone's going, when is he going to retire? And you're like, no, i got to keep working. This is who I am. You see what happens? You've made your platform into your identity. Now, personally, I've been wrestling with this. Because as some of you know, my job future's a little fuzzy right now. I'm not sure what the future holds for my job future. And so I've been asking these questions. Okay, what would happen to me if I couldn't do this job anymore? And that's a tough question because I love my job. I love what I do. I think there are times where I've made my platform into my identity. But but as I've thought about this, I've realized a couple of things. That being a pastor, that's not at the core of who I am. That's only my platform. But what it's helped me realize, this platform that I love, it's helped me realize that really deep down, I think I was made to do a couple of things. See, what, what I think I was made to do at my core, part of my core identity, is I was made to help people find wholeness in life. There's just something about me that, that is so burdened by how most of us live life. That we live life uh, just kind of going through the motions, doing what everyone else is doing, even though everyone else is miserable, that we eke out an existence that is not a very full existence. That bothers me to the core of my being. I know that I was created to do something about that, to help people discover wholeness or fullness or abundance in their life. I know that's a part of who I am. The other thing that I've discovered about myself is that I I believe that I am put on this earth to bring clarity to who God is. And God has done things in my life, he's helped me see things, he's opened my eyes to things that I believe are so important because, again, I believe most people, no offense, but I believe most people have a distorted image of who God is. People inside of the church and people outside of the church. I believe that's why people outside of the church stay outside of the church. Is because the image of God that they believe, the image of God that we perpetuate as Christians is False. See, we talk about a God who is, is stern, he's angry most of the time, he's nitpicky, he's judgmental, he's harsh. He's made us, you know, to be these people who've got flaws and now he judges us for those flaws. And, and all of us are going, like, that doesn't make it. Most people outside of the church are like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't want to worship a God like that. And those of us in the church, it doesn't make any sense to us. We just do it because we're supposed to. And God has shown me, and I, I just believe this is part of who I am, that my responsibility, my job, part of, part of who I am at my core is to help bring clarity to who God is as a God of love, as a God of grace, as a God who wants wholeness for us, and that's why he teaches us. Not because he's got these high expectations for us. No, but because he wants us to have full lives. As a God who forgives, as a God who has given his son for us, as a testimony to who he is. See, that's the God I want people to know, and I, I believe that that's a part of, of who I am, to tell people about that. Now again, can I do that as a pastor? Yeah. But I also am keeping in mind that, what? okay, what, what if God didn't allow me to do this anymore? What if God took away this platform? Would that destroy me? Would I have to be like, oh, how do I find myself after leaving my church? No. See, I, I know who I am. What it would mean is that I would have to find a new platform, which... Isn't it an easy thing to do? And yet, it's way different to find a new platform than it is to figure out your whole identity all over again. See, another way to think about this is, is this. Anything that is seasonal in my life, a job, raising kids, you know, uh, something that might depend on, on being, you know, have, being in top physical shape or, or anything else, anything that's seasonal is by definition a part of your platform. It's not your core identity. If you can't do it forever, it's probably not a part of your identity. It's a part of your platform. Now, again, that's not to say that your platform doesn't matter. I love being a dad. I know that's seasonal. My wife is not going to be pregnant forever. She's done. Like, we're, 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 you know, like we're moving on. I know there's a window of time that I get to be a dad. I love being a dad, though. I'm one of these weird people in middle school. I'm like, I just want to be a dad. I want to raise kids. And I'm living the dream right now. I love that platform, and when it's gone, I will mourn the loss of that platform. But again, I've I've got to keep in mind that, hey, this is just a platform. And the reason I love this platform is because God has put something deeper in me that's a core part of my identity, and when I lose that platform, I just have to find another one. See, when it gets down to it for us, uh, I'd like to summarize it this way, just kind of one final tip. When it comes to navigating the ups and downs of life, the changes of seasons, Preserve your core, and reinvent your platform. As you begin to discover who God has made you to be at the core of who you are, hold on to that. And that's something that is is a lifetime of discovery. I know that till my dying day, I will still be discovering more about who God has made me to be and who he has called me to be. But as I learn that, I want to hold on to that stuff. I I don't want to let it go. I want to preserve the core of who I am. But as life changes, as seasons change, as things come in and go out of my life, what what I have to be able to do is to constantly reinvent my platform. I can't get so fixed on my platform that I let it become my identity. No, no, i got to preserve my core and constantly reinvent my platform. I think we've got to do this with God. We've got to know what His core is. And we've got to hold on to the truth of what we know about who God is at His core. And we also have to be willing to reinvent and let go of platforms, right? I mean, the way we do church, the way we talk about God, the way we express that, that's going to change as times change. And some of you are really bothered by that because you've gotten these things confused about who God is at his core and the platforms that God uses to reach people. You know, if in 20 years I'm standing up here still teaching from a, you know, plasma screen TV, throw me out, I've, I've got my platform and my core confused, Right? And the same is true for us. We so often get these things confused in our lives. But but if you can learn to hold on to your core and reinvent your platform, see, that's the key to a full life. That's the key to an impactful life. Let me tell you about Peter real quick and just finish the story. Um, You know, Peter is up there on the rooftop and he's trying to figure out what this all means for him. He's a Jewish guy. He doesn't go into Gentile people's houses. He doesn't eat unclean things. And then I I just wonder, this is purely speculation, if as he's wrestling with all of these things, Peter began to remember the things that Jesus had spoken to him. Hey, Peter, your name was Simon, and that's what your parents called you. But now I'm calling you Peter. You, You are a rock for me. I wonder if Peter remembered that conversation he had with Jesus on the beach where Jesus said, hey, Peter, do you love me? Asked him three times, and Peter said, yes, I love you. And I wonder if Peter remembered that above all, more than being Jewish, he was one who was loved by Jesus. He was a man who loved Jesus back. When Peter thought about his identity and what it was at his core again, I wonder if you remember that calling from Jesus where Jesus said, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And I wonder if then it was in that moment where it clicked for Peter that Jesus wasn't talking about the Jewish lambs. He was talking about all the lambs, all of God's people. See, because what happened next was that Peter uh, went down and met these guys from Cornelius, and he went with them, and he traveled to Cornelius' house. And when he arrived at Cornelius' house, something extraordinary was waiting there for him. Cornelius had invited all of his friends and all of his family over and they're just sitting there waiting for this guy who might never come and, and yet they're there and they're assembled and the house is full and Peter walks in and he sees this, this Gentile man who's packed out the house just waiting to hear from God. They don't even know what the message is going to be. And Peter walks in and he sees that and, and he begins preaching, sharing who Jesus is, that he died and he rose and he's got life for all of us and began to talk about how that changes our identity and The people heard and they're hanging on every word and they start to believe. And and then, and then something extraordinary happens. The Holy Spirit falls on that house and people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter sees it and he goes, oh my gosh, these Gentile, these Greek people, they're receiving God's Holy Spirit. A holy God is coming to live in the unclean Gentiles. And Peter says, that's it then. Let's baptize these people. And the people are baptized and they become followers of Jesus Christ. And the movement of Christ goes beyond Hebrew people and starts going worldwide just the way that God intended. Do you understand why? Because Peter understood the difference between what was at his core and what was his platform. See, as you negotiate these things, and and you can figure out and preserve the core in your life and hold on to it through life's ups and downs, but as you constantly renegotiate and reinvent your platform, not only will you never have to lose yourself and find yourself all over again the next time life changes things on you, but you will discover a life of meaning, of purpose, of impact. And that's what I want to pray for, for all of us. Please rise as we pray together.